I'm not supposed to be here, but I am. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Actually, I came back from, we came back, my wife and I, a couple of days ago from Martinique. I wish I'd stay there. Beautiful sunshine, beautiful uh, weather, beautiful people. You're beautiful too, but, uh, <laughs> and anyway. <laughs> I'm saying this because some people are surprised to see me here. You, just, you will see me this afternoon, but I'm not here right now. <laughs> see, in the ministry, you never know what happens. I'm quite used to it. Uh, in Pasadena one day, I remember a minister came without his notes. He says, well, I lost my notes. He did pretty well. And other times we are all prepared and we're ready to go. And Mr. Armstrong will walk in and says, oh, I take over. So he pushes you aside. So, you know, but see, you have to be ready. Half an hour ago, before I left home, the minister who was supposed to be preaching this morning said, I don't feel good. So that's why I feel good, so I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to entertain you. There are so many things that, you know, I wish I knew. If I had known, I could have prepared a sermon in a different way. But I've been thinking about the days we have been going through the feast. I'm talking about Martinique. You know, when we first started in Martinique Church, not only I gave two sermons a day, it was about three sermons. So because they wanted a sermon in the morning, and I was the only minister, a sermon in the afternoon, and then afterwards, the evening, maybe we have a, maybe we have a Bible study. It shows the attitude, though. If you really went down, now you will see the people's attitude. It's just beautiful. So, that's something we missed somehow in this country. Because in the beginning we had the enthusiasm. As time goes on, we have less and less enthusiasm. Because we're getting used to, in a way, hearing sermons. We are getting used to expecting, let's say, something new which doesn't happen, as far as we're concerned. We are expecting miracles, which from some people's point of view don't happen. We don't realize that every minute in our lives it's a miracle. It's a miracle you're alive at this, at this second. It's a miracle you can still hear God's word. It's a miracle that we have the liberty, the freedom to enjoy such assemblies. They showed us in Martinique where the riots took place a few weeks ago. Unbelievable. And those things could also happen over here, you know. You never know. They are all concerned, by the way, about the economical aspect of the world. We are not the only ones suffering in this country. Martinique, the hotel I stayed, we stayed, it was almost empty. A place like that, they used to be very crowded. People don't have money to go. 
You know what's? I think we are taking things in for granted, granted in this country. We don't realize how blessed we are. We don't realize that this, what we have today, is not going to last too long. I mean it. I wish you could all go and travel and see, because you hear some of us preach, but you don't realize that it's real. It's real when you see people of great wealth, had beautiful homes, and sleep almost in a stable, practically, because they lost everything. So anyway, my sermon today is not about these uh, attitudes, but it, it's it, uh, for different attitudes. You know, 2,000 years ago, when Christ came, people don't believe what he was preaching. People don't believe that he will return. People didn't believe that Christ has a message to give. People didn't even believe Christ's message. To this day, people still don't believe it. St. Martinique, going back to Martinique, because it's all in my mind, we had 350 people. They built their own building, and Mr. Armstrong said, this is ambassador quality. Imagine saying him that, it's a miracle, but he said it was ambassador quality. Where is it now? In the hands of the people who, handful people who are called, or used to be called, Church of God. You see, you never know, brethren, what happens. And unless you have a stable, solid background and believe and believe that believe that this is going to happen, I think you will be in trouble. Uh, this afternoon, I would like to talk to you about how stay, how to remain in the church. But now I would like to just prepared in the right attitude. You know what? If you take the Bible and see how can I be in the right attitude as far as being taught, I'm sure the, you know the answer. It's what Christ gave his Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes. It's an interesting word because Beatitudes does mean really to be in the good attitude. And Christ shows in a beautiful way how to be in the right attitude. Brethren, look, almost 50 years I've been in the church in the ministry too. I've learned one thing. Some people pretend to be members. Some people think they are members of the church. Some people know they are members. It all depends upon you, upon your attitude, upon the way you behave, upon the way you treat people, upon the way you treat authority. One thing I've learned, unless you respect authority, you have lost the meaning of salvation. I mean this. So because God has in mind something for you and for me. That which he has in mind, it's something which depends upon authority. 
The higher up you'll be in God's kingdom, the more you will be serving people. So authority goes hand in hand with serving. The more you serve, the more you help, the higher up you will be in the kingdom. It's not a question really so much so to be in the kingdom unless there's a purpose for it. When I see our people who used to be in the church, and I will talk to you about it this afternoon, they have lost something. They have lost the sense of serving. They have lost the sense of being useful. What we taught students in Pasadena was to be useful. If you saw, let's say, if you're walking on the campus and you saw a piece of paper, don't let someone else pick it up. Pick it up yourself. Simple. If you saw someone in need, don't wait for someone else to come and help him or her. Do it yourself. Those are simple things, but you see, it shows uh, respect and toward your neighbor and love. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount Christ gave. I don't know how many of you have really studied it thoroughly. If you haven't, maybe you will after this sermon because of the fact it has a lot in it. It's also in a my mysterious way. The, the words in the Bible are not necessarily the words you know today. You'll see in a moment. You see, the Ten Commandments, it's easy to understand. We know. But Christ speaks in the Sermon on the Mount in a different way, using words which we don't always understand their meaning. I'll show you. The Bible has words which have lost their original meaning, like happy. Happy are you. What does happy are you mean? Or blessed. What does blessed mean? So in other words, you know the word, but you don't know what, what you can do to be blessed or to bless. And that's exactly what the Sermon of the Mount is. Christ gave the Sermon of the Mount, of the Mount itself. And then he showed that the people, look, unless you change your attitude, unless you start respecting God's word, you will not enter the kingdom of God. If you want the summary, that's what it is. Every aspect of the Sermon on the Mount shows us exactly what it means to be true Christian. I mean true Christians because, look, I, we just came from Martinique, and we met quite a few people in the world, too, who knew me because... I used to be on the air for a long time. They, the people, they know you, they respect you, they love you, but they don't understand. They did not, They never understood. Why? How come that went today? People listen to their TV pro, uh, blessings and TV, let's say, messages. They still don't get it. Because of the fact, unless you really wholeheartedly want to be a servant, 
you will never get, I mean this, you will never get the teachings of the Bible. Pasadena, we used to be <laughs> big number. We had three services on the Sabbath days. 1 a.m. auditorium, 2 p.m. auditorium, and also we had gymnasium. We had 3,000 people on the Sabbath days. Where are they? In Martinique, where I used to preach, we had 350. We had 35. Where are they? Now, what guarantee do you have that you are going to remain in the church? It's not a question of frightening you. It's a question of awakening you. When you see around what's happening, brethren, we have to know one thing, that unless we take things for, not for granted, but being God's word, if God says something, that's all you do it. To me, that's the most beautiful explanation. I remember someone, like in Pasadena again, and uh, we told him something, and he says, I cannot do it. He had to actually separate from his family. And then when he saw in the Bible that, look, you have to follow God and not necessarily your family, you know what his attitude, his uh, answer was, if God says so, I will do it. That's it. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. But if God says something, you better do it. That's what the message of the frankly speaking of the Sermon on the Mount is. First of all, the word, the word beatitude, as I said, it means uh, in the right attitude, but it also means that we have to understand what it takes, what it means, how we can be in the Christian attitude. That's what the beatitude really means. The Ten Commandments emphasize the letter of the law. It was primarily given to those who did, who did not have, at the time, God's Spirit. Today, we take the Ten Commandments in the letter and in the Spirit. And that's what this Beatitudes is. Therefore, it says, Seven of the Mount is, in the way, explained the Ten Commandments in the spirit of the Ten Commandments, in the spirit of the Ten Commandments, not only in the letter. Bless or happy are words which means that you are blessed by Christian attitudes. That's why you see, who are we to bless? The Bible says in, in the Psalms, bless the Lord. And now wait a moment, who am I to bless the Lord? Bless the Lord means, again, understand the meaning of it, that happy you are if you are in the same mood or the same frame of mind as God is. Okay, let's start. Now, first of all, see, we have, through this week of unleavened bread, today's the last day, we have seen uh, 
that we can survive without bread. It's hard for the French people, believe me. <laughs> but anyway, we did it. If, one, if we can do it, you can do it too. <laughs> so it is possible to survive without French bread. But the fact is that, you see, we, all of us to have to understand we have to put something out of our lives. And the best way of describing was and is still that put leaven out. Leaven, I love leaven, nothing wrong with it, physically speaking. It's because it helps us understand how you can have a better food and better preparation. But leaven in the spiritual aspect of it is poison. We learned that we have to put leaven out during this week, which we did. Now, God wants us to continue putting leaven out from here on until the end. That's what the lesson is. If you haven't learned that lesson, you haven't learned what the unleavened bread feast is. Tonight when you, or tomorrow morning when you go back to eating leaven or bread, think of this, that you're only eating something that which is physical. But the spiritual aspect of the leaven should be out of our lives. In other words, the Sermon on the Mount is the perfect attitude of a Christian. Now, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 21, we read Isaiah 42, 21. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law, make it honorable. Now this is what we call the Beatitudes, or the putting the Sabbath on the Mount in its proper aspect. Let's start with Matthew chapter five. That's where it begins actually. Matthew chapter five, verse one and two. Christ, seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Believe it or not, his disciples never really understood Christ's message in its spiritual meaning. They were with him. This surprises you? No, they, they meant well. They want to be with Christ until the end. They want to die for him. When the Roman soldiers came, they all fled. See, in other words, they meant well, but the human mind is weak. Peter ran away, as you know, Peter denied. Yet he, he said he will give his life to Christ. So don't blame them. Just ask, I understand that unless you have the attitude of what Christ gave in the Sermon on the Mount, you might, you might be perhaps tempted. You might be almost as weak as your neighbor or the disciples. Willingness is not enough. We have to prove it by your attitude. And that's the message of the Sermon on the Mount is. So Christ, verse 2, Matthew 5, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, what is he saying? I repeat again, the word happy or blessed, are, you have to understand 
in their proper context. Because some people today say, I'm happy, they don't know what they're talking about as far as the Ten Commandments are concerned. You can only be happy if you do what God tells you to do. You can only be blessed and can be blessed if you do what God tells you to do. This is the truth. And that's one thing our people don't understand even in the church today. Not all of us. So, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, we read, Blessed are the poor in the spirit. See, there are words which don't mean much as far as I'm concerned unless we understand their meanings. What do you mean about poor? I'm not poor. I'm not poor in the spirit. See, poor in the spirit, we think it's sort of a light-hearted or perhaps crazy or not quite sound-minded. No. And again, blessed, what does it mean blessed? Or happy are. The poor in the spirit are those who are humble. So once you say, happy are those who are humble, really humble, then it makes better sense. And they are blessed. The more really humble you are, brethren, all of us, the more we are blessed. I saw some people, again, coming back because, you know, fresh in your mind when you travel in Martinique. Uh, there's a man who has six children, and they're all grown-ups, and he has taught them how to use their hands. They make a good living. And a beautiful attitudes. And it's a wonderful, happy family. It's nice to see it. It's nice to see how much they respect their father. It's nice to see how much they, shall I say, I don't say follow him, but they share his feelings, his understanding. All of them are in the church. It's like a patriarch. And I say, that's a blessed family. So when God says that you are happy if you have a humble attitude, that's what it is, chapter uh, verse 3, why? For there is a kingdom of heaven. The only time the word kingdom of heaven appears in the Bible is in the Matthew. The rest of the Gospels says kingdom of God. But you see, you know what? Kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is for those who are humble. That's what the blessed uh, verse 3 is. Humility, I've said again, time and again, I've given many, many sermons, is the key to Christianity. Those who left the church, they lacked humility. Those who are not sure, this is God's church, because they want to be something or they want to have a position, whatever it is. The hum more humble you are, the more closer to God you are. I know this by experience. Mr. Meredith and I perhaps are the only ones who have lost so many friends because we have been so long in the church. But we had the best friends we had that we just lost. I don't mean dead, I mean just that they left the church. Why? Because they lacked humility. Christ promises all the way through that if we do 
God's will, if we do to his commandments, then we are sure that we are going to be happy or blessed. Look in Proverbs chapter 15. This is one of most, to me, I love the Proverbs. Proverbs actually teaches anyone, including those who don't have God's spirit, how to lead, lead, or lead, live in a, in a way that you can be a really true Christian. This to me, again, just to me, is one of the most beautiful Proverbs. Proverbs 15, verse 33. Proverbs 13, 15, verse 33. The fear of the Lord, again, the fear is not the fear that we understand. The fear of the Lord means respect toward God. Keeping God's commandments is fearing the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. So look, look at, it can take almost the whole morning, explain, think, meditate what it means. Respecting God, understanding his teachings is wisdom. You want to be wise, there it is. And then before honor, look at the sentence again. Before honor, what honor are we talking about? The honor is when we are getting our reward in the kingdom of God, when we are transformed as children of God. So before that happens is humility. See, it gives you the key. Before you enter God's kingdom, you need humility. See, this is the way to study the Bible, brethren. I don't know how many of you spend time with the Bible, but the fact is that just reading the Bible is not studying the Bible. Take time and just analyze the way I'm doing. The fear of the Lord, respect of the Lord, respecting His commandments is the instruction for toward wisdom. And all of that becomes before, unless you have humility. If you are not treating your neighbor as Christ tells us to, you lack humility. If you think, if you think you're something, you lack humility. If you think that you're better than someone else, you lack humility. Compare this to Proverbs 29, verse 23. Proverbs 29, verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low. Look at it's crazy. A man's pride will be, will bring him low. Then it goes the opposite. But the humble in the spirit, there is your poor in the spirit. The humble in spirit will retain honor, honor not only now but also in the kingdom. The same words, the same ideas expressed in a different way. A man's pride will bring him low. But a humble in spirit will retain honor. Now notice also Isaiah. I'm just giving you verses to compare. See, because that's the only way, the best way to understand the Bible again. Get different verses which treat about the same subject and then you have a better idea. Isaiah 61 verse 3. To console those who mourn in Zion... To give them beauty for 
ashes to oil the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You know, we'll see whatever your condition, whatever your what's happening, always remember that actually if you want to be glorified one day to be in God's kingdom, you have to have always come back to the Christian attitude or seminal on the mount attitude. Again, Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2. This says the Lord, Heaven is my th throne, the earth is my footstool, where is the house that you will build me? In other words, what can you do to Christ? What can you do to God? Some people complain about their lives. I don't have this and that. Okay, fine. But what have you given to God? What can you give to God? Have you ever thought of it that way? Is there anything you can give God? You should. I'll let you think about it. If you don't find it, I'll give it to you. There is something you can give God, and something very important. So here it says that God says, look, what can you give me? Where is the, the place of my rest? I mean, you can't do anything to God. Isaiah 66, verse 2. For all those things, it says, my hand has made. It's true. Everything we have comes from God. If you're bright person, smart person, wise person, even beautiful for women or handsome for men. I don't know. All that comes from, from God. You haven't done the thing to earn or to deserve. So he says, everything is, comes from me. He says, on, on him who is poor and of contrite spirit, who trembles at my word, those are the people God really has is going to bless. Are you beginning to see what I'm trying to see, to, to explain? See, so far I've only taken three verses in the Beatitudes. But you see, it makes you think, it makes you understand what God expects of us. And that's a good sermon. What does God expect of you? Ask yourself the question day and night. In your prayers, don't ask God, give me this, give me that. First of all, thank God for what you have and also say, what do you want me to do? That's one of the best prayers you can have. First of all, be grateful for what you have and ask him, what do you want me to do? Afterwards, do it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, coming back to sermon. Happy are those, or blessed are those, who mourn. You know, this is a word we, sooner or later, we're going to die, physically speaking. There's no way you can live eternally in this, in this body. In Martinique, I was listening to uh, scientific so-called scientific uh, message on the radio, on the TV, they say that 
Today, science can guarantee, they didn't say how long this will take place, to make human beings live eternally. They said they are able to, today, science, to replace every cell in a human body. What makes you old is getting the cells getting older. So if they can replace every cell, you'll live eternally. And they are really serious. And they, are, they are not just, uh, they are serious people. They are professors of university, the doctors. And they are explaining, it was over my head, what they were talking about. And they said that, yes, they can do it. They don't know what, when this will happen, but they could do it. Of course, they won't. <coughs> But it shows how far the human mind goes. People like that, they do need more humility. And that's what's happening to the world. Because the more progress we make, the more we are proud of ourselves. The more we think we are like God. And that's where we are heading. That's what's happening today, as far as the world is concerned. So. Matthew 5, blessed are those who mourn. And we have quite a few people mourning today, even in the church. But what? They should be comforted. When? How? See, those are the questions you ask when you studied the, the Sermon on the Mount. You will be blessed, you will be comforted when Christ returns. You will be comforted when you are actually changed. And also, as Paul said, you know, when uh, we see someone dying and so forth, sure we, we, we mourn them. Sure we are sad. But on the, other, on, the, on the other hand, I should say, we should actually be happy for them because they will not face what you and I will be facing, maybe. Let's face it. Especially if you die in Christ, you have it, you have it made. Why should you be mourning? It's a time of rejoicing. But you see, the, the, this is the way to think. I'm not, I'm not just dreaming here. This is the truth. Especially if you do your part. If you are doing what God says, the day of your death is, you read in Ecclesiastes, more blessed than the, the day of your birth. So Christ said that you should be comforted. You should be comforted in the kingdom of God. So again, even there, you can see that sure we should cry when someone dies because we miss him. That's selfish in a way because we miss him, but the person who goes away cannot miss us because there is no memory as far as that person is concerned. Uh, just get the right balance, please. But when you look at it that way, you can see that God is always fair, God is always just. God has given every one of us the hope we need. Look what says Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 7. We're talking about mourning. It says, blessed, are, blessed be to God. Again, you see, blessed, you're thankful to God. Blessed be to God and the Father of our Lord Christ, the Father of mercies, and God over all comfort. So to me, that's the way I read the Bible. What is attributes of God? 
the father of mercies. You know, that, 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 that's a lesson we have had during this week of unleavened bread. God is merciful. Christ died for us so that we can live forever if we make the kingdom. So he says, God is merciful, Father of mercies, and God of all comforts. Look at that. Do you think of this when you are suffering? Do you think of God, a God of comfort? But we complain, we just need help, we just turn... I mean, it's human. We all do, do the same thing. But if you look at God as being God of comfort, then you have a different attitude. Then you have a different understanding. Then you have a grateful heart. Brethren, one thing I deplore, even in the Church of God, is the lack of gratitude. So very few of us are thankful for what they have. We want more. I wish we would go and see some of the poor countries, what little people have and how much more they show their gratitude. I, I, I told the story before. I'll tell you again. One day, long ago, I was traveling. I went to various countries. And at the end, I stopped by Haiti. And they had practically nothing to eat. And one of the members uh, and the family, they, they want to honor me. They had purchased a little bit of steak. And that steak cost a lot, cost a lot of money, believe me. But they want to do it. And I couldn't even chew it. But anyway, I saw their attitudes. At the end they said, Mr. Partian, aren't we, aren't we blessed? Why? Because they were able to at least purchase that much meat. Then I ended my uh, travel to Switzerland. Boy, a difference. I was invited in the family, and they usually have seen their table. All kinds of wines and fruits and cheeses and meats and what, everything. To me, it was a wait a minute. Where I came from, what I see. I remember our people in Haiti saying, "Aren't we blessed?" So I couldn't resist but say, "Aren't you blessed?" To the Swiss people, you know what the answer was? We can't complain. No, we cannot complain. That's the attitude we have today in this. What they can do. We can't complain. Anyway, I will not go, go back to memories. Uh, the Father of mercies and comfort, for who comforts, verse 4, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 4, who comforts us in all. When the Bible says all, it means all. Now, I used to teach uh, etymology and also various aspects of languages. When you say all, you don't mean all, humanly speaking. When you say always, you don't mean always, humanly speaking. And we use those words often time. He's always sick. No, he's not always sick. 
You're always late. No, I'm not always late. <laughs> but look, some of them are laughing because I think it's familiar, aren't they? <laughs> See, there it is. That's why we talk. But on the other hand, when the Bible says all, he means all. It means all. Who comforts all of our tribulation. There it is. There's no exception. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. Look at the second part of it. God is the one who comforts you. You in turn should be able to comfort all those around you whom you can help. See, that's what Christianity, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. With which we ourselves are comforted by, by God. It always comes from God. God is doing it. Even the comforting of others comes from God. Provided you do your share. Verse 5. For all the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. You see, when I read this like this, I go on, I'm, I'm not studying the Bible. You take time and analyze every word over here and see what does it mean. You might spend maybe four minutes on this sentence alone and see what's, what it says. Then you are studying the Bible. Then you are getting something. Reading the Bible, frankly, isn't much of anything. This does not help. But find out what does it mean. Consolation also abounds through Christ. Let's continue. The way I'm going here, I will be. Uh, verse six, always first, uh, second Corinthians chapter one. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation. That's the apostles talking, and salvation, which is. Effective for enduring the same sufferings which also we suffer. You still notes what today you're suffering, the apostles suffered. What we do miss today, people before us missed it too. As Paul says, all things are <laughs> all of us, that's our share. We just we do lack, we do need the same things, and what you are going through others have gone through before. So if we are comforted, it says it is for your consolation and salvation, verse 6. I think I better go back to Beatitudes or Sermon. See, this is my problem. I get this like zigzags and <laughs> drift away from a sub main subject, but always come back. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Okay, Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are, or happy are. See, always come back to the same principle again, the meek. If we good do understand in, the, in our lives what it means to be meek, what it means to be humble, we have understood the principle of Christianity. That is, happy are those who are meek. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. What do you mean? Well, when we are resurrected as a spiritual being, we'll be coming back and rule the earth. There it is. 
It plainly shows what is the reward for the weak. The meek, I repeat, it's humbleness, the opposite of pride. Again, in Psalms, Psalms, Psalms chapter 37, verse 11, the meek shall inherit the earth. You see, it repeats again. Here is Old Testament, New Testament, the same thing. The meek shall inherit the earth after resurrection and should delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Look at that beautiful word. Ever since the beginning, mankind has ever known even 100 years of peace. They've never had it. We have never had, as far as the history is concerned, more than 200 years without a war between nations. That's where we are. Here yet the Bible speaks of delight, abundance of peace. And that will be when we have the kingdom on earth. Verse uh, 29, Psalms 37, verse 29. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. That's our reward, brethren. But I repeat again, please understand. All this because we want to serve. If you don't want to serve, forget it. You will never make it. We have to know that the only way we can please God is by being more like Christ. And being more like Christ means do what he did. He turned the other cheek. He was humble. He did not seek revenge. He asked God to forgive those who were persecuting him. That's the attitude we have to have. Okay, back to Matthew chapter 5. Another interesting, especially today. Look, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you take it apart, if you hunger for just because physically speaking, that's not what Christ is talking about. You should be hungry and thirsty for right, righteousness. And that's what we're talking about. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. Do you? When you are in trouble, we need the comfort, we need consolation. Do you really just uh, turn to God and are you so hungry as you will be, you will be or you are, when you don't eat. Why? Because for they, for they shall be filled. Now those are promises. God never lies. If God says something, God is going to do it. The difference is the timing. Your timing is not God's timing. Again, because God knows better. God knows what is the best time to give you what you need. That's another thing we don't understand. We complain. It's just like, you know, sportsmen. If you give up at the last second, you will never win. But so long as you, are, you keep competition, you keep going on, you will never lose. The same thing with our Christian battle. We're asking God, we're asking God, we say, what is it? Where is God? God is there. The question is, where is your faith? Where is your understanding? Why don't you go back to, go back to Sermon on the Mount? 
and see what God says. He says, hunger for righteousness, thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's promise. God is not, God won't lie. The kingdom of God, brethren, some of us have dreams about it. Don't look at the kingdom of God on your human way of understanding things. I think we be all of us would have surprises coming. Good surprises because it will be much better than what we expect. Much more beautiful. I don't think we even understand anything on a spiritual level because our minds are close to spiritual understanding to that level. Because I think God's, God's kingdom, what we see, what we are in it, and God's nature, it's so more beautiful, so more uplifting. Because it, it, it has nothing evil in it. You and I, we have plenty of evil, believe it or not. We have, we, you and I, we have so much carnality in us. In the kingdom, you won't have carnality. In the kingdom, you will have a different nature. Psalms 119, verse 172. Psalm 119, verse 172. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. We're talking about righteousness. You say, what is righteousness? There it is. All your commandments are righteousness. See, brethren, those are the things we need. We expect great things, big things from God. Well, there, there, there they are. Those great things, big things are given to us in the Bible, but we expect something from our way of looking at things. God gives us all we need. Just trust him. But accept what you have with humility, with gratitude. If you really learn how to say thank you and mean it, then I think you're on the way to understanding God's nature. You know, Mr. Armstrong used to say, God gives, and God is giver. He used to preach about giving and receiving. That principle is all in the Bible. But it is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20. And that's what it is. We have to learn that it is more blessed no matter what it is. Your time, your help you can give to someone. I've seen people of very, shall I say, humble background, able to comfort those who were mourning. That's some of us. Sometimes just a touch of hands. Sometimes just a nice word. Sometimes just the arm around the person are worth much more than words. Because words sometimes spoil your feelings. Matthew chapter 5. That's something we learned during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. That one word, brethren, gives the key to true Christianity. 
If you are not merciful, you will never make the kingdom. If you don't know how to forgive, you will never make the kingdom. And that's what merciful is. You know, Christ said you have to forgive seven times 77. And Christ did show his mercy toward us because we killed him. All of us, you and I, too. And then he says, forgive them. If you can ask forgiveness for someone who's killing you, <laughs> that, that shows that Christian attitude. I told Mer in Martinique, in one of the sermons I gave, I said, look, I said, I met a man in France during the war. And I didn't know much about Christianity, neither did he. I said, you know, I said, to be Christian, you have to really love your neighbor. He looked at me and said, what? What do you mean neighbor? I said, neighbor could be friend or enemy. No, I will never be Christian. Well, look, don't blame him. During the war at the, in Germany, he has lost his wife, his children. His I could never love those people who killed, killed my life and my children. I understand humanly speaking. But you see, yet Christ says, blessed are those who mourn or love your neighbor as yourself. This is what makes it difficult to be true Christian. So what you read here, blessed are the merciful, Matthew 5, 7, for you should they should obtain mercy. You need mercy, I need mercy. So unless we have that attitude, you won't really be blessed as we want to be. When, we, when you pray, the disciples didn't know how to pray. And they asked Christ, let us know how, what we can do to be Shall I say effective in our prayers? How can we can we pray to God to get so that God will really understand and have mercy on us? Because all of us want something from God. But we have to know how to ask. Christ has asked you should be given. Why aren't we given? Because we don't know how to ask. Here, Matthew six, verse twelve. The disciples ask. Christ, they said, they said, look, let us know how, how, we, how can we pray. He gave them the model prayer, and in verse 12 he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And as your mercy. Are we willing to do it? If we are not, then we don't know exactly what it means to be Christian. And then Christ adds verse 14, Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. See conditions. When you read the Bible, look for conditions. In one side, God says something, and then next to it, it shows the conditions or what may happen. Here it is. There's an example. See, if you forgive men... God will forgive you. Without forgiveness, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You might keep all the feasts of unleavened bread. You might keep, 
keep all the Feast of Tabernacles unless you have this attitude which is revealed to us in the Beatitudes you might not make the kingdom of God in Psalms 80, 85, 86 Psalm 86 verse 5 you see the, the Bible repeats time and again whether it's Old Testament or New Testament you cannot separate the two it, it gives you the key in a language that you will understand Psalm 86 verse 5 for Lord uh, Lord uh, for you Lord are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you see the Lord is good he's willing to forgive abundant in mercy for all those who call upon you upon God Brethren, some of us have been in the church for a long time. Some of us have read the Bible pretty well and know the Bible pretty well. But some of us uh, read the Bible in such a way that as though we are the teachers and not the ones also involved to respect and do. I'm not talking about ministry. I'm talking about every one of us here. Uh, someone told me, he says, what, what else should I do to be sure that I will be in God's kingdom? You know what? My answer was, that was some time ago, look, put into practice the things you already know. That as a Christian, they have learned. And all of us here know enough to qualify for the kingdom if we put into practice. I mean, sure you can do more, but we have enough knowledge to know that we know the way to the kingdom. Well, I this, this, this. I've got some memos here. And uh, going back to, at least I would like to finish the... Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Again, another beautiful verse. Blessed are, blessed are, or happy are, the pure in heart. How many, how many of us can really say, I have a pure heart? Let's face it. You might be a good Christian as far as you're concerned, but pure in heart, how many of us are? Why? For they shall see God. Because God is pure in hearts. Unless you come to that level, of course we can't on this earth here, but at least we can do the best we can. Because the day when we are we become a spiritual being, then we should see God. We should have pure in heart. You know what? You don't blame anyone. How many of us blame someone else or something else if something goes wrong in our lives. You point someone else. It's always someone else's fault. If we can't accept responsibility, if we can't say, I am sorry, go to someone, let's say, with whom you might have had some difficulties, or with her, it doesn't matter, go to the person and start 
making peace, saying, look, I am sorry, I'm at fault. Don't point out what's wrong with the other person's, whatever it is. First, recognize your faults. Then you will see the difference. But our first uh, tendencies are, you know what you did to me? There it is. Right away, you already have dressed a wall between that person and you. No. All of us are guilty one way or the other. Go and say, look, I'm sorry if I hurt you. You'll be amazed how well you'll be received and how things will go better eventually. It's, it's beautiful if you put this thing into practice. Matthew chapter verse, verse 5, uh, Matthew 5 verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see, brethren, as time goes on, it's going to be more and more difficult for all of us to be called Christians. It was much easier to be Christians in this country when I came about 50 years ago because people had a different mind, different attitudes. Now it's getting harder and harder because each one blames the other. Whether it's in races, whether it's in positions, whether it's jobs, I don't know what it is, but it was, we all blame each other. Why don't we just, first of all, find out what we can do to be better Christians? Even if someone is not good Christian toward you, be a good Christian toward that person. That's what we're talking about. Even if someone doesn't care for you, you yourself go and care for him or her and do the best you can to help the person. You know the prodigal son? The attitudes of the two brothers. When the young one came back, repented, the old one, the older son, said, what's all this? I've always been good. No, he was not always good. Maybe he was never good the way he acted. To me, those are the basics of Christianity. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 5. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? Psalm 3, to 3, and, 3 and 5. He who has clean hands. Now see, God again asks the question, who will be in his kingdom? Here's the answer. Who has clean hands? Do you? You know what clean hands mean? As I mentioned a moment ago, take it, understand what it means. Clean hands, pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. How clear, how clear can you get? He's telling you exactly what God expects of us. Verse 5, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now you're beginning to see what Beatitudes are, what the Sermon of the Mountain is, how much the disciples needed this sermon, how much you need, how much I need. 
if we, every one of us in the church of God, practice what the Sermon on the Mount is, we should be sure we are, will be in the kingdom of God. Of course, we can't do it because, I mean, perfectly because human beings, we don't have a pure heart. But we can try, we can strive. When you realize that you haven't done what you share, ask God to forgive us. Our prayers, brethren, as far as I'm concerned, should be changed into more gratitude toward God, into more thanking Him, rather asking. We ask, we ask, we ask. I mean, I know all, all of us do. But the fact is that why don't we just stop and let our prayers be more filled with gratitude and ask forgiveness, yes, and ask to be more merciful, ask to learn how to can forgive someone else. Then those are the prayers God will answer. Matthew chapter Matthew five verse nine. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers. That's beautiful. How many of us can we say that I'm a peacemaker? In the families. Today we have so many problems with family problems. Why can't either husband or wife be a peacemaker? Turn the cheek. Even though you might not be at fault, say, I'm sorry. By so doing, you'll be blessed. Christ says so, and I, I know experience, by experience it's so. And I know when I look around that if we all had this attitude, a peacemaker. The Bible speaks a lot about the tongue. Watch your tongue. What to watch the things you say. Oftentimes, brethren, if we just keep quiet, you'll be a peacemaker. That's right. You don't have to defend yourself always. Just be a peacemaker. Have a nice smile and a nice word. So, suppose you're a peacemaker. What happens? Look at the rest of the sentence. They should be called sons of God. You see the words? That's what we're talking about. You know what? God is telling you, telling me what may happen. So try to be a peacemaker. Especially today, when so much happening, when so much poverty and so much, shall I say, wrong attitudes, Try to be a peacemaker. Don't look for your good. Don't look for your comfort. Even though you might be right, you don't have to, let's say, defend yourself. Just, 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 just be quiet. And uh, the other person will know that your silence will be a proof that he or she might be wrong. Psalm 119, verse 165. Look at that beautiful statement. Great peace. Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have those, what? Who love your law. Why? Because God tells us in his commandments how to have peace, how to make peace. And nothing causes 
nothing uh, causes them to stumble. Is this true as far as you're concerned? I mean, can you really say that you have peace, you live in peace? If not, why not? I mean, I know we're not perfect, but at least are you striving toward this type of an attitude? Again, I'm just, okay, Luke 24. Peace is something we all need, brethren. Peace of mind. Peace among ourselves. Peace in our attitudes. Peace in our speech. Luke 24, verse 36. Now as they said these things, Christ himself stood in the midst, in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. This happens when Christ died and resurrected. The first thing he comes back after resurrection, what does he say? Peace to you. Interesting, isn't it? And I would like to end the sermon with this on, in mind, the word of peace. Because Christ, when he came, he came to say that he brings, brings peace to earth. And after resurrection, the first thing he's telling the disciples, he says, look, peace be with you. John 20, verse 19. We're talking about Christ here, died and resurrected and came back. John 20, verse 19. The same day at evening, being the first day of the, of the week, when the doors were actually closed, the, the disciples assembled for fear of the Jews. Christ came, look, the disciples are afraid what may happen. Christ comes, stands up in the midst of them and said to them, what? Look at the surrounding. He goes, says, peace be with you. Why? Why is it that Christ is the first thing he's telling the disciples after resurrection? Peace be with you. Peace in every respect toward your relationship with others, toward your attitudes, toward your rewards. That's what it means, the whole of thing, because God is a God of peace. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And the message was again, peace to you. John 20, verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside. Thomas was with them, as you know, who did not believe first. Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst of in the midst and said, Peace to you. Why do you think so many times this thing is, is repeated? Why? Because God knows that the only way we can solve our problems is make, making peace with each other. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of peace, brethren. Kingdom of joy. Kingdom of happiness. Kingdom when we learn not only to 
help others, but also to be to be sure that we can give everyone what they need. You and I, I don't think we know how to comfort each other. Sometimes, especially at times of mourning, we our words spoil our feelings, our our attitudes. As I said, it all depends what you say, how you say, when you say it. And the same thing with your prayers with God. If you not know that God is a God of peace, try to imitate, try to really just do the same thing. How often when you have done something good toward someone, how often you will see that the response from that person, perhaps with a word, with a smile, I don't know, it makes you feel good because you have done something. Now, I want to stop here because uh, there's much more I have to say about the, the Beatitude. But maybe this will help you to understand how to pray. Let your prayers be peaceful. I mean peaceful toward God. Because some people even are angry at, at God because they don't get what they want, because they lack things, because they think others are more blessed than they are. If you have such feelings, you are not at peace with God. And you are not at peace with your neighbor. Be happy with what you have. Be thankful to God for what you are. Because for what you are is what is going to make you able to enter God's kingdom. You won't be able to enter God's kingdom if you were someone else. Understand what I'm saying here. The way you are, that's the way God has made you. And you have to change to be able to enter God's kingdom. But you are not going to make it if you are someone else, even though you are what you are. So don't envy anyone. Don't say, I wish I had what he or she has. I wish I were as smart as another person is. Be thankful for the mind you have. Be thankful that God has called you. Be thankful that you can keep God's feasts. Understand what it means. And be thankful that you can one day help others to also understand what it means truly in God's kingdom. Those who left God's church, they missed something. And I'll be talking about it this afternoon. What they missed, brethren, we don't have to go through, same, through to, to the same experience. Let's not commit the same mistakes. Let's be thankful. Let's rejoice this lunch together. And this afternoon, try to understand what it means to have finished, physically speaking, the Feast of Unleavened Bread.